This is Global Tennessee, news analysis and commentary from the Tennessee World Affairs Council in Nashville. Global Tennessee is produced in association with the Center for International Business at Belmont University and the International Business Council of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. The World Affairs Council is a nonpartisan, nonprofit educational association, and the views expressed on Global Tennessee are those of the participants. This is Global Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee World Affairs Council in association with the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. We have a very special uh, program today. We're very pleased to uh, be talking with uh, six consuls general from the, uh, their consulates in Atlanta, representing uh, countries from the European Union, uh, along with uh, David Plazas from the Tennessee, and we'll be talking about uh, topics in the news. Uh, trends and uh, what's happening in the relationship between the United States, the European Union, the individual countries, and what's happening uh, generally across the European Union. Today we're pleased to uh, present uh, for your uh, information uh, the Consuls General of France, Louis de Carrel, uh, Germany, Dr. Heike Filler, uh, the United Kingdom, Andrew Staunton, Ireland, Shane Stevens, Belgium, William de Betz, and Greece, Emmanuel Andrukalis. Uh, we uh, are very uh, pleased to uh, present uh, them in our podcast today on behalf of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce, who is hosting them on a couple-of-day visit to uh, Nashville and, and the area. Uh, they've been touring uh, the area. They've had a luncheon with the International Business Council here, and now uh, we're pleased to bring them to you in the Global Tennessee podcast. Uh, we'll be discussing uh, business, trade, investment in Tennessee and the Southeast generally, uh, the relationship uh, with the United States between the European Union and the individual countries, uh, developments in uh, in Europe, and uh, we're going to uh, accommodate uh, six uh, people at once in our interview by asking a couple of questions from each topic, and then uh, the consuls general can uh, contribute comments uh, on top of of those who are asked to uh, address the uh, the questions. Uh, we're going to uh, to open with uh, some comments from the uh, the head of the delegation. Uh, the Consul General of uh, France, uh, Mr. Louis de Carrel. Thank you very much, Patrick. Um, as you said, we're a group of EU count, uh, consuls um, in Atlanta, six of us, um, career diplomats, and we like to come out of Atlanta and, and visit uh, our jurisdiction, usually uh, a few states uh, in the southeast, and this time around we are visiting Nashville, um, went to, as you said, to had a discussion yesterday with the uh, International Business Council, um, went to visit the Nissan plant in Smyrna, and we're quite happy to, to be with you this morning to discuss topics around the EU-US relation. We are local um, um, in the sense that we, we our jurisdiction covers uh, the southeast so we are part of the embassy which is in DC obviously um, but we uh, cover specific uh, areas such as uh, uh, the Tennessee state in in this occasion well on, on behalf of the World Affairs Council and the Nashville Area Chamber welcome to Nashville we hope uh, you enjoy the rest of your stay uh, David Plazas from the Tennessean is going to uh, open with questions David Thank you very much. Uh, Tennessee relies a lot on trade with countries all over the world, and the European Union is a very important partner to us, whether it's with Volkswagen in Chattanooga or with other trade relations. Recently, there was a uh, uh, direct flight uh, to London that was announced. And one of the things I wanted to ask uh, 
you all is about trade relations. You know, there was some uncertainty with regard to proposed tariffs. Uh, where are we in the state of that? Has, has this been normalized or is there still concern about uncertainty and perhaps some disruptions in, in our trade relations? I'm more than happy to start. Uh, Andrew Staunton, uh, thank you very much for mentioning the British Airways flight from uh, Nashville to, to London. Uh, it has been a great success already. And what it has done is it's transformed that uh, idea of connecting Nashville with the outside world. Because from one stop on British Airways, you can be anywhere in the world. So the flight has proven hugely successful uh, with business travelers, particularly. Uh, and I know that the delegation that came from London and Partners, which is the major trade and investment arm, used that service to come here. And we're also bringing uh, a large delegation from our Association of British Health Tech Industries to Nashville in March. And that's a sign of that increased connectivity. On the, the trade policy, obviously I speak uh, as part of the European Union and also reflect uh, the United Kingdom. Uh, trade policy has become more complex recently. The United Kingdom fully supports the lines that have been taken by the European Union, that we oppose the tariffs that have been set on steel and aluminium, uh, and we're concerned about uh, the national security justification for looking at the, the imports to the car industry. Uh, we consider the US to be our foremost and fundamental trading partner, and uh, we've had a very successful trading relationship, and we want to see that continue. For example, in my country, it's, it's healthily uh, one million British people go to work for American companies every day, and one million Americans go to work for British companies every day. So that uh, global trade, global investment has helped uh, particularly uh, inject that. And we have concerns that uh, the unintended consequences of such strong uh, positions on tariffs will not be healthy for the global uh, economy. Yes, uh, good morning. I'm William de Waits, Consul General of Belgium. Um, and first of all, thank you so much for having us and uh, allowing us to speak up for our uh, interest between um, the EU and, uh, and the USA. Uh, without surprise, Belgium is a, a country of the size of Maryland. So without surprise, we are really uh, outward looking. Uh, our economy depends entirely on the rest of the world. Now, of course, the, the bilateral trade and investments first start at home, so the main clients and suppliers are, of course, the countries within the European Union. But if you go out of the European Union, the US is, of course, our main trading partner and also our main um, investment partner. Now, certainty is never good. Um, over the years, Belgium and the USA, they have um, established a, a very deep relationship. Belgium is, in fact, the ninth nine investor in the USA, creating 150,000 jobs. And the way around, the USA is the first investor in Belgium, creating more or less 125,000 jobs as well. So we are really interdependent. Now, for the trade as well, and with Tennessee in particular, I was quite happy to see in the statistics that Belgium is the first uh, client in Europe of the Tennessean uh, exports. So that means that there is also a strong relationship between Tennessee and, and Belgium, and of course, by extension, with the European Union. Of course, we are in favor of free trade. We are in, in favor of having as much as uh, taking away all the, barri the barriers and tariffs that exist, uh, and we are opposed all protectionist measures that, that are coming up. Um, first of all, it hampers the trade, but it also hampers the investments. And you can have 
uh, as uh, my British colleague said, you can have consequences you didn't aim at. And I can give you a very, uh, very concrete example. Some Belgian companies wanted to invest more or to expand their operations in the USA, and they are just postponing it because of the uncertainty created by the tariffs. Why would you produce consumer goods in the USA if your raw material gets uh, tariffs imposed on, on it? So you better produce these goods abroad and then import them in the USA, even though there will be a tariff as well. But that uncertainty, in fact, um, uh, hampers all the activities and is, is very negative for the bilateral relationship. Um, Yes, uh, Heike Fuller, uh, Consul General of, uh, of Germany. I just want to add that uh, um, trade definitely also benefits all Tennesseans here. If I read the data of the US Chamber of uh, Commerce uh, rightly, uh, the vast majority of voters here in Tennessee say that uh, um, negotiating more trade deals is really good for the economy here in, in Tennessee as well as for the a global uh, economy uh, in in the U.S. and consumers and producers are really uh, benefiting from free and open trade. As you may be well aware of, um, there's a very strong German footprint in automotives here in in your state. Uh, we just briefly discussed that uh, Volkswagen company might be uh, ready to open a new factory for electric uh, electronic cars in Chattanooga. And um, therefore, um, we are all, as and I can echo my, my colleagues, are uh, concerned that the, the free and global trade we see, uh, um, we have seen in the past, is hampered by, by certain unilateral um, steps or ideas the, the current uh, U.S. administration is, uh, is considering. And if you want to judge the, the status of trade uh, relations, uh, I think uh, uh, you, have, you have to look uh, on a broader picture, not only trade balances. You have to take into consideration uh, investment, you have to take into consideration job creation, and you have to take uh, into account the digital uh, trade. And uh, um, so far, the, the um, U.S. deficit is on, in, in, in relationship with the EU, there is a deficit on trade on goods, but there is a surplus on trade on services. And um, uh, U.S. companies in, in Europe, like Facebook or Google, um, or Microsoft, they uh, have a bigger profit than European companies make here in the US. If it comes to job creation, uh, Germany is accounting for about 670,000 jobs creating here in, in the US. And uh, I think uh, trade in, in Tennessee uh, supports about 870,000 jobs. So it's, it's a very important factor. So, um, David, I'm Shane Stevens, the Irish Consul General, and I'm very glad to be here with this uh, uh, European Union team. Most of us are wearing European Union blue today, and we're, we're here um, to really try and uh, communicate to people the importance of what the European Union brings to the United States. I think it's, it's very, um, we're kind of, um, I think it's, we're often underappreciated in, in, in a sense. 
uh, European Union investment in the United States is worth 2,500 billion. That's the total value of um, European Union foreign direct investment in this country. That is a huge scale of investment, and even more than the, Euro the United States invests in Ireland, sorry, in invests in Europe. So it's, it's, it's a massive relationship that is highly beneficial. Also on the trade side, we're the, the, the largest single, the European Union is the largest single destination for American exports. But that matters to American farmers, it matters to American workers, and I think we, we're, we're glad to be here collectively to communicate that fact. <clears throat> I mean, for many years, uh, the larger European Union countries have been investing here in, on a large scale, but today even the smaller European Union countries are investing very significantly. For example, Ireland is employing large numbers of people here in Tennessee through um, CRH, they employ about 800 people, through ICON, a great uh, clinical research company that employs 500 people just outside Nashville, and, and so on and so forth. And um, Ireland, like, like, like many of our colleagues here, we're, we're a pro-market country. In fact, we learned a lot of that pro-market spirit from the United States. But we're a committed pro-market country. We want to see free, free trade, open markets, and free flows of investment. And um, that's something that's been good for our economy and has been good for the United States economy over the years. So we're committed to those principles. Uh, but we're <clears throat> glad that a start has been made in uh, normalizing our, our trade relations by President Juncker and President Trump uh, meeting this, this summer. And we now, we now both sides are working hard on a process to get us back to a place where we can have a proper multilateral trade negotiation between the European Union and the United States. And the European Union has already taken you know, strong measures to, to demonstrate our commitment to that process. Now, uh, since that process started, the European Union gets the vast majority of all its soybean uh, product uh, imports from the United States. We've also um, taken steps to transform our uh, liquefied natural gas markets so we can accept more, much, much more uh, of that product, which is a big export for the United States, into Europe. So it, it's, a, it's a relationship that all of us are deeply committed to. We're committed to working through any difficulties and getting it right back on track. You know, there have been some market uncertainties with regard to the negotiations on Brexit um, over the last few months, especially most recently. Would you address how does that affect future relations with a place like Tennessee? Uh, I, I can start, obviously, uh, as the United Kingdom, the country that is uh, voted to leave the European Union. I think that uh, there will be a consistency and continuity in terms of the relations because uh, the European Union will still have as a priority a negotiation with the United States over a free trade agreement. And obviously when the United Kingdom has the potential to negotiate our own independent sovereign trade deals, our Prime Minister has already said that uh, the top priority will be a trade agreement with the United States and obviously the state of Tennessee would benefit from that and would have a say in the negotiations through your elected representatives. I mean, I think uh, all of my colleagues have already stressed the importance of trade and investment, but it is a two-way process. We are encouraged from the United Kingdom that President Trump has said that uh, he, he likes the sound of a trade deal with the United Kingdom and one of the things he's asked us to do is to leave sufficient scope through our negotiations with the EU. But just to come back to some of the uncertainty, obviously I can't comment on political developments in my country, uh, but there's a sense from my perspective that uh, Prime Minister Theresa May 
uh, is trying to negotiate and seek approval for a deal which addresses three of them, three major concerns of every American that I speak to. The first one is to avoid a hard border with Ireland, between Ireland and Northern Ireland. It's our only land border with the European Union. Uh, there was a hard-fought peace uh, and prosperity that has been secured across the island of Ireland. And the United Kingdom fully appreciates the importance that Americans attach to that, and we share that importance. The second aspect is obviously leaving sufficient scope for uh, us to negotiate a free trade deal with the US. But the third aspect, and this goes to the heart of uh, some of the investors from Tennessee who've set up bases in the United Kingdom in order to trade with the rest of the European Union. The proposal that my Prime Minister has put to Parliament respects that and protects that. It avoids tariffs uh, for uh, an initial period, an implementation period, and thereafter we will be trying to negotiate uh, a deep economic partnership. So that's very important in terms of giving certainty to US investors who have taken the decision to base themselves in the UK so that they can uh, continue to trade with the European Union. I think uh, we'll probably uh, shift gears here a little bit. We'll, uh, we'll continue the conversation about uh, the U.S. relationship with the European Union uh, and move a little bit beyond trade. I just want to remind our listeners, this is the Global Tennessee podcast from the Nashville uh, Area Chamber of Commerce and the Tennessee World Affairs Council. We're with David Plazas from the Tennessean and the Consuls General from uh, France, the United Kingdom, Belgium, Greece, uh, Germany, and Ireland. Uh, visiting Nashville from uh, their uh, consulates in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, for a couple of days, and we're very pleased to have them here. If I could uh, shift the conversation a little bit towards the the uh, well, you know, business is, is wrapped up in a lot of these things, but the government to government relationship relationships and uh, and political developments. Um, uh, clearly, uh, it, and it may be delicate in diplomatic circles to have some of these conversations, but the Trump administration has, uh, beyond trade and tariffs and and uh, what we've been discussing so far, uh, put on the plate of the European community uh, a number of issues that uh, have upset some, and, and um, some have been very candid. Uh, Chancellor Merkel last year said maybe it's time for Europe to uh, be more on its own. Uh, in response to some of the uh, initiatives from the White House uh, that uh, cast out on on the mutual aid uh, defense agreement in the NATO North Atlantic Charter, the Atlantic Charter. Uh, other political issues, uh, the United States withdrawing from the Paris Climate Agreement, um, and, and just in general, um, a less, uh, less amity in in the relationship between individual countries and the European community in general. Can you comment on, uh, as, as best as you are able, wearing your diplomatic uh, hats, uh, what, uh, what the state of play is in the European Union uh, looking at the current uh, administration and, and a shift from decades-old traditional um, institutions and alliances that uh, the trends don't seem to be heading in the, in the positive excuse me, positive direction. Would you like to start, uh, uh, Consul General of France? Okay, and then we'll go around the, words, we'll go around we'll the go table. Around. Um, so leaving trade aside, uh, the points you mentioned, NATO, defense, and climate. Um, on NATO and- But there's, there's, more, there's more to it than just those. Those are sort of, kind of symptoms of- uh, Sure, but I'll leave them to my colleagues then. Okay. <laughs> um, NATO and defense, in, 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 there's a sense, there's a bit of a, uh, a strange misunderstanding there because 
Um, what actually President uh, Trump asked for is, is a, a stronger um, European defense and um, a, a better effort f on the part of the European countries on their defense. And that's something we've always advocated as far as my country is concerned and um, uh, in, in, in the European Union as a whole, um, France and the UK have always pushed, for instance, for, for a, a stronger defense, autonomous defense. And it doesn't run contrary to the, to the NATO uh, framework, which will remain our framework. Um, but we can, on our side, we can only see um, um, uh, a positive um, European defense um, as, as a, a, a new development. When we're working on it, we're trying to um, um, create uh, an autonomous European defense. And in that regard, I don't see any problem with, uh, um, with, um, with the fact that we should be more uh, put defense more in our own hands. Uh, on climate, well, we agree to disagree. Uh, climate, we're working on, um, I, I should point out that we're working on, on a different scale. Um, it's not just state to state, it's city. Cities are major players. We can work with the United States levels, and there are many levels in the United States on climate. And um, we, we, the, the subject matter is too important to, to let it uh, bog down in, in uh, statements and, and other um, disagreements. So we, we are collectively, as, as a global community, working on, on uh, climate. <coughs> and I'm sure there are many um, parts in the United States which uh, agree with uh, what we're doing in the European Union. Uh, which is a, a leader in the fight against climate change. Well, uh, as you mentioned, uh, uh, my chancellor earlier, indeed, indeed, for for Germany, um, uh, we we observe that there is a certain withdrawal from from uh, uh, multilateral uh, aspects. What what the uh, um, U.S. administration uh, is considering regarding what my French colleague uh, said, burden sharing uh, with NATO. Uh, that is always a topic that was discussed for a long time. But what we see now, if you ask especially my country to contribute more to, uh, to NATO, um, what uh, what we have decided upon is that we will increase our our defense uh, budget till the year 2024 and that means that indeed by 2024 the german defense budget might be the biggest um, in in europe and um, given our historic uh, uh, our history um, I think for a lot of people that might be a little bit, um, they might feel a little bit uneasy about it, but uh, this is what we have to do. We, we are a, a strong a partner in, in Europe. We want to contribute to Europe. On the same time, I have to stress the US is our closest partner without, uh, uh, outside of the, of the EU. And we value this partnership very much. Um, there is a very strong link historically um, between Germany and, uh, and the US. And um, uh, I think it would be a shame uh, if, uh, if um, 
against the background of, of current um, new thinking and ideas, how you position the, the, this, this big partner, US, um, the relationship turns a little bit sour. What, um, what uh, independent surveys have discovered that the perception of the EU, uh, of the German-American relations are in our both countries very differently. Nearly 70% of Germans say that the US-German relations are troubled. Um, that is a very high number. Um, uh, Americans don't see it at, at that. And even on the core elements of our partnership, we can't agree anymore. Germans say, um, the vast majority of, of Germans say the US-German uh, relations are all about trade. And Americans respond, no, it's all about defense and security. And I think that's, uh, that's really a big contrast um, how how people see the, the this relationship and that changed over the years and uh, it has a certain impact to the younger generation and that is my concern um, in Germany I think also in general in Europe um, the US as a country to come to is less attractive with uh, uh, students for school exchanges I don't speak about the the high-end um, research, but but on a general level, people are more reluctant to come. They they turn more uh, towards Asia. They see that more uh, attractive, and um, so um, what what we try to do, we bought on a so-called German year in the U.S. It started in October this year, and for the next 12 months, we will have about uh, 300 uh, individual projects, a thousand events, more than a thousand events, where we try to reach out all over the United States, especially in the heartland of the US, not only Washington, DC, uh, New York, and Silicon Valley. Thank you very much. Pa Patrick, um, Shane Stevens here again, the Irish Consul. I just want to say that um, where as you say, there have been some uncertainties in the relationship recently. I mean, you, you've asked us to talk about the long-term trends. And I just have to underline that you know Ireland, like the rest of the European Union, is totally committed to its relationship with the United States. I mean, for a start, from an Irish point of view, 36 million people in this country are members of our diaspora and claim Irish heritage. You, I think, are probably one one of those people. Um, <laughs> what gave it away? <laughs> your name. Uh, again, we're we're as I said as well. You know, we're in the European Union committed to 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 making the best use of of open markets. Uh, we're committed uh, to uh, multilateralism. And a lot of those principles are, are things we've learned from the United States over the decades. I mean, it was the United States who that invested in the, the Marshall Plan and that helped set up the European Union um, after the Second World War. Uh, you know, the, the United States was the, the, the body was very much responsible for developing all the, the whole range of the Breton Woods institutions. And again, <clears throat> so Ireland is com com completely committed to uh, working through those multilateral institutions. We're committed members of the European Union. We're not going to be leaving the European Union. And we're committed members of the United Nations. We're running currently for a, a, a non-permanent seat on the UN Security Council for the period 2021-2022. Again, w w we can disagree with the United States because we're close friends. Know, and we have, a, you know, I think, a privileged relationship with the United States that we can, we can leverage to, to, to express uh, points of disagreement. 
and as well to, to, to and again on the other hand to work and cooperate more closely on areas where we can cooperate Again, just this, this week, um, my Minister for, for Finance, Pascal O'Donoghue, who's a, a big uh, country music fan, the last time I, I saw him, he was in, in, in Nashville enjoying a bit of country music uh, himself and meeting with, um, with Governor Haslam. He's over in Washington uh, meeting all the, the leaders on the, the finance side uh, there and pushing forwards our cooperation on a whole range of areas. For example, um, we, we see the United States as being a great partner for, for cooperating with on global approaches to taxation of the digital economy, for example. Um, but there's a whole range of areas where we're, we're determined to, to work closely. So we're, um, I mean, the, in the European Union, we, we all stand um, behind the European Commission in negotiating our, our, our trade deals, and that they're the ones who lead on that. But we all bring a different flavor to, to the relationship with the United States, and we're, we're proud to do that, and we're all committed utterly to, to, to getting the very best out of this relationship. Well, maybe I, I should uh, rephrase the question or expand the question a little bit, because clearly government-government uh, government relationships are... Uh, uh, are viewed in in a positive light. The uh, the strengths are highlighted, uh, but uh, a, a number of observers on this side have have detected uh, quite clearly that the, the relationship has has changed somewhat. And and maybe I could ask the Consul General from the United Kingdom, uh, with whom the United States has a quote unquote special relationship, but in areas like the Joint uh, Comprehensive Plan of Action, the Iran nuclear deal. The United States acted unilaterally to withdraw, despite efforts from the European Union among the signatories, the P5 plus one, uh, to keep that sort of thing. And, and again, I don't want any one thing to, to be, which is a symptomatic of the of the trends in the changing relationship, but just a, one highlight of, of the kinds of things that the White House has done. Uh, and perhaps we can take it from the perspective of uh, your respective populations, because we see reports in the news that uh, a, a poll of Europeans from this or that country, and Dr. Fuller mentioned the changing perspectives among the German population, but uh, clearly something is different in the relationship, and that's the nugget I'm trying to get at. Uh, <coughs> I appreciate that fully, Patrick. I think uh, listening to my colleagues, uh, the summary I would put on the relationship is it matters. It will continue to matter, it will always matter, and there will be times when that relationship appears stronger, and there'll be times when that relationship appears less strong. I think on the particular case of uh, the negotiations with Iran, I think you will be well aware that uh, uh, we did not support the US decision to withdraw from that uh, agreement. Uh, we think we had found a process, and I do emphasize it was a process, that was engaging with Iran that they had benchmarks to meet, and it was the, the best way we could see to avoid any notion that Iran would quite shortly acquire a nuclear weapon capability. The president took decisions. Uh, he had made this clear during his election campaign that he was uncomfortable with the deal with Iran, and he has implemented uh, that uh, promise to the, the US electorate, who elected him on that basis, along with many other issues. But, I mean, we still see that the way forward with Iran is on committed and comprehensive dialogue. Uh, we also note that uh, the president has uh, invested considerable pol political capital in uh, dialogue with North Korea. So, you know, we, we are looking to hope that uh, 
that this will become the established practice because we think as diplomats that dialogue is the, the best way forward. And just, you mentioned the special relationship. I think what's clear to me, having been a diplomat for 31 years, every person sat at this table has to have a special relationship with the United States. It matters, uh, it has been our biggest ally throughout a number of challenges. It will remain our biggest ally. Uh, so while the United Kingdom uh, is delighted that President Trump and his administration look favorably on things like bilateral trade deals, we also think that that relationship allows us privately to seek to influence some of those policy directions. Uh, and we will continue to, to do that. We will look for areas that we can work with the United States, of course we will. And there are many things that President Trump has, has put his focus on that we think, from our perspective, are important. You mentioned uh, contributions to NATO, big supporters of that from the United Kingdom. You mentioned, I think earlier, some of the tariffs around the world. I mean, I think everybody knows that there are some practices that occur in trade between countries that have to be improved on. Uh, we, however, think that the best way to improve on that is through multilateral dialogue and multilateral processes rather than uh, getting into uh, so-called tariff disputes or tariff wars. Maybe, Council General from, uh, yeah, from Greece. Greece. I would like to add that, uh, especially with regards to, to security, I mean, say, Greek-U.S. relations um, are extremely important for us. I, can, I cannot stress enough the importance. Um, we are in an area that has faced many challenges. Um, I mean, Greece, um, from the Western Balkans to Northern Africa with the Aura Spring uh, a few years ago, um, that we're in an area that faces a lot of challenges um, uh, with regards to migration, terrorism, uh, the situation in Syria. I mean, the United States have, have a lot of interest in the area. I'm not talking about Iran, I'm talking about, of course, Israel. I'm talking about um, the new opportunities that the discovery of hydrocarbons in the East Mediterranean uh, have, um, um, have emerged lately. Um, and uh, our relations, we regard our, we regard our uh, relations um, very important. This, this was confirmed last year uh, when our Prime Minister visited the United States and met with President Trump and I hope, I mean, it will be reconfirmed tomorrow when our Alternate Minister for Foreign Affairs is visiting Washington DC and he's uh, meeting with uh, Secretary of State Pompeo and other officials. So um, what I want to say is that in times of uh, intense globalization and uh, with all the problems and um, the challenges that we face. I mean, the answer can only be um, more intense synergies and uh, cooperation and dialogue. This is my, our point of view. And, and finally, the Consul General from, from Belgium, a, a key home to uh, the NATO headquarters and so much of the multilateral uh, system that, uh, that engages in the United States. Well, thank you very much, Patrick. Indeed, we have all the traffic jams uh, whenever we have a, a, a high-level meeting in Brussels. and. Uh, I can tell you that when the um, President of the United States comes to a, a NATO meeting or, um, or a, a, a summit between the EU and the USA, then it's a total mess in Brussels. So <laughs> you, be, you better work from home than, than go to your office. Um, worse than Atlanta? Yeah, even worse than <laughs> Atlanta, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to believe, but it's like that. Now, uh, to come back on, on, on your question, there is a lot of perception, of course, and there are, in my opinion, two elements that make us a little bit uh, uneasy. 
first of all, the style of the president and the, um, what we call governing by Twitter the, um, by the government. So means also that for our interlocutors, it seems quite difficult to talk to us because they don't know exactly how fast policy might change. So that makes the relationship between diplomats and government to government a little bit more complicated as well. And then the second point is where we, are, where we feel quite uneasy is that uh, we are not used to the USA not taking the lead in multilateral institutions. As my Irish colleague said before, the USA was the founding father and was the big promoter of the, the new world order after the Second World War. The creation of the Bretton Woods institutions and then the Marshall Plan that helped the, the U European Union also to form itself. And we are not used to that to that um, that second rank role by the USA on international scene. So we have to adapt to that as well. Um, and there might be a positive effect to that. And my French colleague um, already alluded to that, we, th that might give a push, for example, for the European Union to work harder on our defense. Um, when it comes to defense, the NATO is still, of course, the, the main framework for our security, but we might um, work a little bit harder on our own capacities to make it also possible for the European Union to have security interventions abroad without having to count on the assets uh, of the USA. So. There is probably always a civil line to the clouds as well, um, but as I said, there are prob the, the, two, the two main points are the perception and then the, uh, the absence of the USA in the lead of uh, multilateral institutions. The, uh, the unease with the new relationship, the uh, governing by Twitter and, and the, uh, the style of, of the American president. I had the good fortune of living in uh, York, England for 10 months in the last year and traveled to 22 countries. So my uh, antenna were up to the, uh, the uh, feedback from the man in the street, so to speak, on uh, the American president. Uh, uh, can you can you talk a little bit about uh, the man in the street from your perspective? Is is it a concern for government governments in in Europe that uh, the perspective of of the average citizen might be turning sour, as Dr. Fuller uh, talked about uh, the trends to look towards Asia as as a as a more desirable uh, partner in many things? Well, I, I can speak up for Belgium. In Belgium, people generally still adore the USA, and it is still a place where people want to come. Um, and Belgians who come to the USA, quite often they come with a contract of two and three years, and that becomes suddenly permanent. So they don't leave the USA anymore. So I don't think that life is so bad in the USA, and people still still like very much the USA because the relations go way beyond the governmental relations. Sure, sure. There is cultural, there is a business, uh, there is sport, uh, there is a lot of relationships that are so deep and so long between our two continents that the government, which stays in power only four or perhaps eight years, that is just uh, very ephemere in, in the whole relationship. Well, hopefully can, can I Can I add to that? Yes, sir. Uh, as you mentioned, you had stayed in New York, England. I think... Uh, perceptions of the man in the street uh, are interesting. Obviously, they follow how the media portrays some of this issue, and uh, it has captured many headlines. But I think uh, given where we are in our uh, focus on leaving the European Union, the United States is only going to become more important for uh, British business. Uh, and so we need to be much more global Britain. And I think the United Kingdom and British people have always had a 
a real sense of affinity with uh, US citizens, which will uh, continue to be the case. Uh, uh, it's not for me as a diplomat to comment on politics or individual politicians, but uh, I know that there is a, a hell of a lot of interest in developments in the United States and a growing interest in developments in the United Kingdom. Uh, and uh, these trends will continue. Uh, I think the important thing is to just uh, uh, go back to the sense that this relationship and these sets of relationships are really fundamental, but not just for the European Union, they're also fundamental for the future of the United States. Well, by the way, York is a gem of a place to live for, uh, for 10 months. I'm, I'm, already, I'm already missing the corner pub. Um, we're going to sh uh, shift gears one more time. We have about 10 minutes before a hard stop, and we want to turn to one more topic. But I want to remind everyone you're listening to the Global Tennessee podcast from the Tennessee World Affairs Council in association with the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. And, uh, David, you, you've got uh, some questions on uh, trends and what's happening uh, in Europe. Uh, there's certainly no shortage of, of news, but maybe we can get into a couple of uh, the uh, things that are making headlines these days. Sure. Well, one of the topics that I've been following very closely is the conversation about nationalism versus globalism and certainly uh, trends and attitudes toward immigration, uh, both in Europe here in the United States. Uh, uh, President Trump recently declared himself a nationalist. Uh, that certainly has a lot of historical implications, as Dr. Fuller alluded to. Uh, history, what trends are you seeing and how does that affect the relations between each other as nations and also your relations with the United States and other nations? Could I start, David? Um, so in Ireland, we've probably had the greatest uh, recent uh, transformation in our uh, population in terms of moving from a situation of having very few people who were born outside Ireland to having a large number of people who were born outside Ireland. We now have uh, over 18% of our, of our working population was born outside the country. That's been a dramatic change. We've seen a, a flood in of people, particularly from uh, Poland and Lithuania, other European Union countries who, who were obliged to take in under EU laws, but also large numbers of people have come in from Africa and Asia. And um, while there's a lot of negativity often about immigration, our experience has been immensely positive. Uh, one of our, you know, we, we uh, are delighted that these people have come in. They've uh, reduced the cost of labor. They've brought in excellent skills. And it's a, you know, a point of pride for us now that one of our main uh, sales pitches for getting in new foreign direct investment is that we're now the third most international um, country in the European Union. So for us, it's a positive, and the fact that we've been able to welcome these people in uh, is again uh, is again a, a big part of what makes us attractive as a country, not only uh, for foreign direct investors, but also for tourists from all, all different parts of the world. And again, it's something that we're very proud of. We have a tradition of welcome in Ireland that we've been able to stay true to. So that's something that we're, we're immensely uh, positive about, and our, our Minister for Finance was um, expressing that point himself just in the last few days. And again, diversity is something we're immensely comfortable with. Our new uh, uh, Prime Minister, his, his, his name is not, not uh, Ryan or O'Sullivan, but his name is uh, Varadkar because he, his father is from India. And he's also uh, recently come out as being a, a gay man. So this, that kind of diversity is something that we're immensely comfortable with uh, in Ireland. But on the other hand, you know, we still, we still recognize that immigration does present uh, challenges, particularly in the southern part of Europe. People have been, um, have been uh, affected by spillover from terrible conflicts in the Middle East. So that's something that, that is, a, is a serious problem. But like most of these serious problems that we face in Europe, we believe it's best uh, dealt with through um, 
joining hands with our, our, our brothers and sisters in the European Union uh, through the, the European institutions and, uh, and, and approaching those challenges collectively. Migration, uh, problems of, even problems of terrorism, problems of security are best dealt with collectively. Uh, we're not in, in, in uh, NATO in, in Ireland, but we are keen to work with our European Union colleagues on matters uh, of security cooperation and intelligence and, and in, in addressing migration in, uh, in, in a way that's good for Europe and also humane. Thank you. Yeah, I would, uh, if I may, um, uh, I would say it's, it's not only uh, migration, it's not only migration. I would keep it a little uh, uh, broader. Uh, migration coincides with um, statements like um, America first. And uh, this, this is a politics that caters to a very narrow framework of national interests. And that uh, caters to, to promote uh, uh, nationalism. And uh, if we see that, and if that spreads around, it it uh, it caters to to more uh, populism, and this is what we see all over Europe, and we see that also here in the states. And I think that is a very dangerous um, way that we are uh, uh, walking, and we have to to work very hard. And I think especially politicians have to work very hard to explain to their own population, but also to the international community better and in a more understandable way what they really want to achieve. The politics of Twitter, as my Belgium colleague um, referred to, has one very bad um, uh, impact. You are forced to say a couple of words. And the subjects we are dealing with today are so complex that it is extremely difficult or nearly impossible, to my opinion, to explain to the people on the street what pol uh, politics is really about and what, what the measures we are taking, uh, what kind of impacts they have. And uh, if I may, I, I will also say this is the case what we see in Europe with Brexit. A lot of people in Great Britain did not understand fully the impact a Brexit would have. And um, so I think we all have to, to be very careful which messages we cater to our uh, own population as well as in the, in the international forum. Can I shift the, uh, the question very quickly, uh, uh, Consul General from France? Can you comment on what's happening in, in France with the Yellow Jackets and uh, the things we see in the headlines today so people <coughs> understand more clearly what well, that is? Well, very quickly, um, I don't think it, well, it, it doesn't come from nationalism, uh, as you mentioned. It's an economic and so it issue. Just, it's an economic issue. And the, the problem is you, you have to have some a, a bit longer memory than the, 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 the short uh, tweets, uh, as, as my colleagues say. Um, uh, it, it all goes back several decades, and the fact that also the 2007 crisis, uh, which uh, I may recall, uh, started in this country and spread all over the, the, the European continent, this c crisis has led to a general stagnation of many of our working classes and middle classes, which have seen their income um, either uh, regress or, or stagnate at best. And 
in different countries, different methods and different solutions. But in my case, in, in the case of France, it has been uh, a constant struggle with the um, fiscal deficit at the government level and the purchasing, purchasing power of the population and the redistribution of wealth. And tax is, is behind all this. Tax policy is, is the, the subject matter. And people, uh, in their messages, uh, you may recall that it's, it's, it started with the tax on, on gas, really, on, on driving your cars. Uh, so there was a bit of a, this triggered a, a more general um, movement about tax uh, incomes and purchasing power. And the middle classes have seen their, their life, um, the level of, of the standard of living uh, stagnate. And this is what it's about. It doesn't really um, relate to the nationalism topic that we had um, discussed before. Well, clearly uh, complicated issues. We're going to have to leave it at that in the interest of time. We know you have a hard stop here and continuing on your uh, tour of uh, Middle Tennessee and, and the Nashville area. We thank you very much. We've been uh, very pleased to present today the Atlanta-based Consuls General of France, Louis Ducarel, uh, Germany, Dr. Heike Fuller, uh, the United Kingdom, Andrew Staunton, uh, Ireland, Shane Stevens, Belgium, William de Betz, and Greece, Emmanuel Andrukulis. And we, uh, again, thank you, and, and hopefully you'll be back in Nashville, uh, and we can uh, continue the conversation, maybe not six at once, uh, some a little more uh, manageable uh, group that we can dig deeper into some of these important topics that uh, our listeners want to, uh, to know about. Again, this is the Global Tennessee Podcast from the Tennessee World Affairs Council. Uh, David Plazas from the Tennessee, and thank you so much uh, for joining us today, and uh, we uh, look forward to uh, working with you in the future. Thank you, everyone. Have a good day. This has been Global Tennessee from the World Affairs Council in cooperation with the Center for International Business at Belmont University and the International Business Council of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. The executive producer of Global Tennessee is Patrick Ryan, senior producer Logan Monday, technical advisor Bill Ryan, and the voice of Global Tennessee as well as the Penn Jones Conspiracy, I'm Benjamin Olson. Visit tnwac.org podcast for more information. 